Hello, and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm your host, Ray Gerard. With me in studio, Mr. Bob Hennekes, our ordained Catholic deacon, also in the seminary to become a Catholic priest. Wants to move up in the world a little bit, I guess. Uh, this is the program that asks, hey, um, as we look at our world, the events, uh, things happening around us, would St. Paul, if he were alive today, have anything to tell us? If he saw what was going on in our country and wrote a letter to America, what might be in such a letter? Well, join us, won't you? And let's take a look. Um, now, we're going to begin uh, this program. I don't know. Bob, how would you like to start us off with a prayer? Should we do that for a change? That sounds absolutely wonderful. All right, let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to seek your desire and your will. In fact, that's what we're trying to do, to understand what it is, Father, that you want. You want us to do in our lives, and you want us to think about, to talk about, and to help others with. Allow us always to remember that we want to be like your son as he was here 2,000 years ago. We want to hear the words of St. Paul and listen to the truths that he put forth and always do your will. Allow us to do so, Father, and to take care of and love those around us in all that we do. And we pray this in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, what we're going to talk about today is a group called Moms for Liberty. It's a group of moms. Uh, not necessarily a small group. Uh, they have over, I think they were just formed just a few years ago, formed, uh, started in Florida. A couple of moms down there got together. They wanted to get on some local school boards. They originally intended this group, Moms for Liberty, uh, to be simply a Florida organization, a state in which they lived. Two weeks after they started things up, they, they were just trying to get on school boards, trying to affect, uh, affect school policy. Uh, just uh, grow some parental involvement in what was happening in the schools down there. Within two weeks of them starting this group up, however, they got a call from a woman up in Nassau County, New York. And boy, she wanted to form a chapter up there. And then, whoa, another one and another one. 42 states. They are now in 42 different states. They have over 250 uh, chapters. They, have, they claim over, yeah, over 100,000. They claim over 110,000 members. This thing has grown, and it has grown fast. And it is parents trying to get involved in the education of their children, trying to get involved in the schools, and so forth. Well, they have drawn the attention of a lot of people, and recently they drew the attention of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, the Southern Poverty Law Center is a group that uh, every year uh, puts out a list called uh, their hate group list. And they have traditionally listed people like... um, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and various neo-Nazi groups, people like that, who, you know, are, are, are very, you know, I mean, they've got all kinds of severe prejudices against, you know, certain groups of people. Um, you know, they might favor, you know, violent things and so on and so forth. And they would fit the definition of a hate group. Okay, so how does a bunch of moms who like to go to school board meetings, fit into that category. Well, Southern Poverty Law Center put out a report. By the way, by the way, their their list for last year, 2022, they came up with 1,255 groups in the entire country that were listed either as a hate group or an anti-government group. Out of that 1,255 number, 530 fell into the category of hate groups. Of that 530, 230 were chapters in 42 different states of Moms for Liberty. They made up, you know, almost half of the hate groups, the hate groups uh, in this country, groups that sponsor hate moms. I don't know, moms, most people, when you think of your mom, you think of love, you know, hugs, tender care, and don't necessarily think of hate. So what is it that the Southern Poverty Law Center found among these groups that uh, earned them the, the status of being included on their list? Well, you know, Ray, when I, was, uh, when I was explaining to kids in school or on a retreat with, uh, with, with students from, um, uh, from our church and was asked or discussing about what love is, 
I said, picture for a second, if you would, the, the view of love that I had was the first time I would see a mother hold her child. Moments after childbirth, the baby is put in their mother's arms. And the two that have been communicating for nine months, that have been loving each other without seeing each other for nine months, have the first chance to actually lock their eyes together and see one another. And it is that moment of love that I would consider one of the most wonderful, tender, beautiful definitions and sights of love that I've ever seen. To, to see that is almost incomprehensible. It, 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 makes, it made such an impression on me. And to think that someone somehow would take that same love that a mother has for their child, the, the care that a mother has for a child, and say that makes them a hate group because of, uh, you know, the, the feeling that they want that child to have the best, especially in their school and their education, just seems crazy to me. I, I can't even imagine how you, I could get to that. I, I, I don't know how I would end up in that position. Well, you know, uh, as you talk about that, Bob, I was, I was thinking about, you know, some of these, uh, these quotes, these, these, these famous quotes from other people about a mother's love. One is by Eric Fromm. A famous sociologist and psychologist, he says, Mother's love is peace. It need not be acquired. It need not be deserved. Another one comes from the famous novelist, author of uh, Les Miserables, Victor Hugo. A mother's arms are made of tenderness, and children sleep soundly within them. These are, you know, these are concepts that, I mean, they're, they're basically universal. Uh, Hillary Clinton, for example, said, of course, parents are the most important people in a child's life. Why would you be important? Well, Kobe Bryant, for example, said, my parents are my backbone, still are. They are the only group that will support you if you score zero or score 40. If you score zero, it doesn't matter. Um, they'll love you. It's a thing, I get, and there's this more quotes, Abraham Lincoln, Princess Diana. Yeah, Princess Diana family is the most important thing in the world. Um, LeBron James, Abraham Lincoln, Lilo and Stitch, for example. Ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. I mean, these are universally understood ideas that a good set of parents, a good mother, good father imparts, imparts love to a child that can make a child feel safe, warm, and secure, can, you know, allow a child to grow up, you know, balanced and, uh, and comfortable. Um, this is an age-old, time-worn, it's just a, baby, a natural, a very natural kind of situation between a mother and a child, father and a child. It's the family. You know, I, the way I think about it is, out of all the people in the world, that I've been around, many people as they meet you, work with you, relate with you, are trying to figure out for themselves what they can get out of you. An employer is willing to pay you money to see what they can get out of you, what goods you can bring to their organization, what good you can do within. Yet when I think of a mother or a father, I think of that parent thinking, what can they instill into the child? How can they help the child? How can they love the child? And it is not about getting anything out of that relationship. It is all about putting it into the relationship. And I, it's so unselfish, uh, a parent's love, that, uh, a good parent's love, a, a love that is, is that wonderful. It is absolutely the quintessential love of someone else to try to take care of and help that child. And so I, uh, I, I, again, as, as we talk about this, I'm rather stunned that anyone could take parents and say, no, there's, uh, there's something very different about them and they should be a hate group as opposed to a loving group. Well, I don't want to go too far with what the Southern Poverty Law Center is saying. I, I'm, I'm sure they would acknowledge the role of parents, but when parents want to get involved in schools, there's a dividing line. So certainly they are taking a position that Parents should be separated from their childs and, re and children in regard to school matters, and the school should have priority and precedence. And so they're elevating somebody over the role of the parents in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of matters that affect the upbringing of their very own children. So I don't want to 
overstate uh, what the Southern Poverty Law Center is saying and say, hey, they're against parents. But in a way, uh, but we do want to be accurate about it. And in a way, they are um, taking a position against parents in that they are saying that there is um, there is there is a need for parents to be more silent and less concerned with the upbringing of their own children in terms of the the education of their own children. So we want to be accurate, but I think it is fair to say that this is this is what is is going on. Now you were talking Bob about you know uh, we're talking about you know children growing up and the role of a family, the importance of family and in, in, in children that grow up. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I recall the, um, the opening line. I don't recall exactly how it goes, but the opening line of the famous novel by the you know, Russian uh, novelist Leo Tolstoy, Anna Karenina. And in that, I think it opens with something to the effect of, you know, um, with every successful person, um, the story is, is the same. Um, and it's that they, they come from a good family. And with every, you know, uh, no, with every good family, the story is the same, something like this. And that with uh, every broken family, the story is always different. Families break up for different reasons. There could be alcohol abuse, physical abuse. There could be a lack of love in one form or another. But good families, they all have the same story. They are all the same. It's because it's a good, healthy relationship. It's reciprocal love that is shared between father and mother. I think that's the foundation of any good family that has children is that you have to have a father and a mother that don't love each other. It's a reciprocal relationship um, where love is exchanged, father to mother, you know, mother to father, father to child, and, you know, child to father, you know, mother to child, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's like, a, you know, hey, you know, good things, you know, just simply, you know, go around. And, uh, um, you know, with a bad family, you know, it starts with without that kind of love. Um, and so that's that's really, you know, the essence, right? So, you know, when you interject, you know, when, when you somehow say that that loving relationship, I know, by the way, that loving relationship, I mean, it mirrors, um, I mean, it's part of the natural order, isn't it? Because... The natural order of things involves somebody upstairs. It involves God. And, of course, in our Catholic faith, we believe in this, oh, this mystery called, this little thing called the Trinity. And John Paul II, in his Theology of the Body, talked about how you've got this three-way reciprocal relationship of love between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit— and it's like this, this circle, and the love just simply keeps going round and round within that circle. And he likened it to a family where, you have again, you have a father figure, and then you have a mother, and then you have a child. And this love just simply goes round and round. And this is part of the natural order of things because, yeah, we are supposed to imitate the Trinity. Um, we are supposed to um, love the way... God loves. That's what we're supposed to do. And those quotes that we just gave about, you know, mother's love, father's, you know, being unconditional, parents' love for a child, being unconditional. Well, who does that mimic? What kind of what kind of other, you know, love do we know that's unconditional? I mean, what other kind of love do you know about that, you know, uh, the loving person always forgives no matter what? They're always ready to accept, you know, a sincere I'm sorry if if you give it and it's sincere. Well, yeah. God, who else? Um, anyways, so let's uh, let, let's get back to the Southern Poverty Law Center. What is it that they do find objectionable? I mean, we're talking about them. Um, you know, what is it? Let's you you know go to their report and what they find to be a problem. I mean, maybe maybe they're right about you know in some regards. Let's see. Well, some of the views that they deemed objectionable were, for example, uh, quote. Well, this is, they're quoting in their report, they're quoting uh, one of the co-founders of Moms for Liberty. And when these co-founders said, quote, I raise my children, the government does not. Now remember, uh, this group, this list of 1,255 uh, groups, this hate group list, was a list of not just hate groups, but anti-government groups. And so if you express this kind of position, they deem you to be anti-government. Uh, 
Um, other quotes from Moms for Liberty that were found objectionable. Putting the focus back on educating our children. Um, they didn't. Uh, they also uh, remarked about um, the Moms for Liberty saying, "Hey, when parents back, went back to our school board meetings to voice their concerns uh, during COVID and after COVID, their voices were shut down and silenced. The Moms for Liberty were complaining. They're they're shut down." Um, you will not. Oh, another one was when the NEA, the National Education Association, um, uh, started a proposal to use the term "birthing persons" instead of "moms." Well, Moms for Liberty didn't like that, and uh, the SPLC, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, it's SPLC, didn't like the moms not liking that. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, they in the report they made note of the fact that one of the people that is promoted uh, or has a relationship with Moms for Liberty is a Dr. James Lindsay, who the SBLC described as an admitted Christian nationalist. An admitted Christian. I get. I don't know. Is there something wrong with being an admitted Christian? I, I think I'm one of those. I mean, <laughs> you're not just an admitted nationalist. You're an admitted Christian nationalist. Anyways. Um, the uh, the uh, Moms for Liberty started referring to people who promote certain policies in the schools dealing with transgenderism and um, gender-affirming care, which is another word for uh, when, when it's not just uh, counseling, but when it refers to actual medical treatments, you're talking about puberty blockers and even, you know, surgery to remove certain... Uh, you know, gender-related parts of the human anatomy. Um, so when Moms for Liberty, you know, refer to um, certain people in the school system as introducing these concepts, uh, like, for example, a lot of, you know, drag queen shows in public libraries and such, and uh, a lot of people liking that, uh, the, the acts that go on, the the actions that are talked about, the uh, the books that are that are read from, things like that. There's... It's almost like it's, uh, although in the view of the moms, there is pedophilia. These people are groomers. That's their opinion. That's, and Southern Poverty Law Center calls them out for that. Um, anyways, uh, the actions, besides just these quotes and these views and thoughts that the moms have, the actions that the report cites as uh, either objectionable or causes for concern are that Moms for Liberty in the 2022 midterm elections endorsed 500 school board candidates. That was dangerous. The other actions that are noted is uh, Moms for Liberty's chapters of Moms for Liberty around uh, the U.S. are lobbying certain bills in their various you know, state legislatures or national uh, bills of one sort or another. Um, Moms for Liberty at times have called for boycotts against certain companies. They have filed complaints with local sheriff's departments and what have you, um, alleging perhaps violations of law, alleging various violations of law. Um, They have, and they also read excerpts from books that they deem to be pornographic in school board meetings. And so these are the actions. Um, If you read through the report and you're actually looking for examples of moms being arrested for committing some kind of act of violence, not in the report. These are the actions that are cited, lobbying against bills, uh, lobbying for or against certain bills, um, filing complaints with local sheriff's departments, uh, trying to engage or arrange boycotts against certain companies, um, endorsing candidates for public office. Seems that to me, is, yeah, that seems just uh, someone who's wanting to get involved. I, I didn't hear something that's outlandish. What I heard is someone who is trying to move us and our government in a direction. You know, most of the time I'd think, man, that's great. I, I worry about people not being interested in our political system, not wanting to get involved. And all I can read in that list is someone who does want to get involved. You're engaged in the political process. <laughs> You're exercising your rights of free speech and your rights to participate in the political process. Like uh, groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center and other groups 
uh, do as well. Do they not lead boycotts? Oh, of course they do. Uh, do they not try to sponsor or lobby for bills? I'm sure they do. I mean, well, I guess I shouldn't. I mean, I don't know exactly what the Southern Poverty Law Center does in that regard. But, you know, I mean, groups on both sides, whatever political side of the aisle you're on, I mean, this is what people do if you're on, you know, one side politically and you want to engage in the political process. That's what you do. Um, now, the report also cited, for example, uh, one member of a chapter somewhere uh, talking about gunning down a school board member. Well, obviously, that, that of course, qualifies as... <laughs> you know, uh, I mean that that's that's despicable conduct. That's that's, you know, if you're if you're talking that way, if you're encouraging somebody to think that way, no, that's not what anybody should be about. But when you have 110,000 members in a group, you are going to have instances like that. But like I said, the report isn't just limited to that, or limited to the one chapter where that particular person. Um, was a member. Now, uh, they list all 230 chapters around the country and, uh, and so forth. So obviously it's the views of Moms for Liberty that apparently is objectionable. And it seems that the objectionable part is that they, are, that they have these views and they're voicing these views and they want to uh, you know, pull, put these views into effect. They want, it, they want policies, governmental policies, to uh, adopt these particular views. They don't want pornographic books in the schools and things of this nature. You know, and while their views may be regarded by the SPLC and others as not including certain people, uh, as you know, being anti-LGDPQ or whatever, the fact of the matter is there should be room in this country for divergence of opinion. You should be able to speak out on certain things. They should be able to say, look, we don't want, um, you know, people preaching to the kids in schools that you can change your sex. If you are a parent and you want to, you know, control that, if you want to, you know, regard the children as your own, you don't want, uh, you don't want the government coming in um, and talking about these things. You want the government to teach reading, you know, math and so on and so forth. You should have the right to say that without being labeled a hate group. Now, now, here's the question that we have to ask. Um, how does this align or does it not align with Catholic thinking, with Christian thinking? Is there anything in here in this controversy about, you know, not just, not so much like, um, you know, Trans, where you stand on transgenderism, where you stand on critical race theory, where you, where, where you stand on any of these particular issues that the SPLC on one hand believes in or the Moms for Liberty on the other hand believe in. The question is, should parents have a role in the education of their children or should government-run schools um, be able to dictate what goes on in those schools without the involvement of the parents? Should the two be, be separated? Is there, uh, I don't, is there a role for the parents in this? That's really, I think, the question. And so, and, you know, people are, peop and people are divided on that. Some people don't want the parents at the school boards, and other people certainly do. Um, well, one of the know, things that people are at school boards for is that they're paying their taxes. You, you start to ask yourself the question, who should be at a school board meeting and who would be legitimate? Well, if you're paying taxes to that government to therefore fund the school district, which is what you're doing usually with the real estate tax, that's the, that's the big one that, that typically gets a lot of the money, you therefore are now paying taxes to support the school. If you're paying taxes, at least I thought in our country, when you're paying those taxes, you have a right to express to others that are running that particular board or that government, your views. You don't have a right to tell them this is a democracy. So we get people together and we vote on people like school board members and those sort of things to do it. But you certainly ought to have the right to let them know what your feeling is and where you think should, things should be, especially when you're footing the bill for that. I, I, I think we all sort of figure that's our right and would be appropriate to, uh, to do so. And, of course, lines up with the Bill of Rights and, very, and 
many principles on which our country was founded, which many people believe have a you know Christian Judeo-Christian uh, basis and foundation. But that's and that's that, that's simply and has been in this country you know well accepted political way of looking at it that people have the right of, of free speech and so on, um, and to be involved in their government. But what about the role of parents versus children? I think uh, some people would would say education should be left to the experts. We have a national education association, national. You know, teachers, you know, there's these national teachers, boards, and so forth. And these groups, they know best. They spend their careers, their professions, um, you know, they, they spend their lives looking at these particular issues. They know best. Um, and they should be able to set policy, and, and teachers shouldn't, uh, I mean, and then parents should basically allow them to do their job. I think that's, that's the idea. Well, as I say, does St. Paul have anything to say about this? Well, I'll tell you what. Not only St. Paul, but I think Mother Mary as well. What we're going to do is we're going to look at a letter from St. Paul. Um, and we're also going to look at really the only place in the Bible we really hear from Mary, Mother Mary. Um, pers- the person who in our Catholic tradition is regarded as the mother of us all, the spiritual mother of us all. Would she have something? To say? Well, you know what? What if we find that St. Paul says some things to say? And then we look at the Magnificat. We find out some things that Mother Mary has to say. And what happens if we find that there are at least three elements in which they coincide? And that's exactly what we're going to look at. So how about this letter from St. Paul? What would he write to America? What would he tell us? Might he not say, Blessed be God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has chose us before the foundation of the world. In love, he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of transgressions. He has made known to us the mystery, a plan for the fullness of times. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call? What are the riches of glory in his inheritance among the holy ones? And what is the surpassing greatness of his, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead at seating and seating him at his right hand in the heavens? There's a lot, uh, there's a lot in, that, in that letter. And that this was, um, would we know? Yeah, how could we know whether or not St. Paul would actually write this to us in America? Why not? He wrote it to the Ephesians a couple thousand years ago, and what was good for the Ephesians is would be good for America. I don't think St. Paul would say anything different today to us than what he told the Ephesians and the others to whom he wrote letters 2,000 years ago, because guess what? The truth doesn't change, and St. Paul happened to be a guy who was clued into the truth. Why not? I mean, we've been reading what he's written for these 2,000 years. It has affected millions and millions and billions of people around the world. Um, So, I mean, if somebody wrote some stuff that didn't stand the test of time, I mean, I think you could say, okay, well, he wasn't clued into the truth. But somebody who has, different story. Anyways, uh, but there's a lot in there. Um, And he's talking about adoption. Adoption in love. Adoption by who? Adoption by God. Adoption of who? Adoption of us. What is that? A family. Oh, that takes us back to John Paul II, the theology of the body. Oh, yeah. Um, but imagine that. We're part of a family. But, you know, I mean, we also believe in the body of Christ. That we're all part of a, of a, of a family through, uh, through the Eucharist. We're part of the body. of. This whole concept comes over and over again. The concept of the family, it's important. I mean, my goodness, we refer to Christ as the Son, God as the Father, the family. Hello? Um, he talks, he mentions forgiveness, the forgiveness of transgressions. Um, might that have to do with that love thing again? And love, he destined us for adoption. Forgiveness of our transgressions. Would you, you know, I mean, would your, would your mother, would a loving mother not forgive a son or, or a daughter if they did something wrong? I know one time I sat up abruptly at the kitchen table and I just, I jumped up. I was a kid. I wasn't thinking. I jumped. My mother was standing right behind me with a hot cup of coffee. 
got spilled on it. Guess who forgave me for doing it? You know, I mean, uh, you know. Anyways, um, he talks about a plan for the fullness. of There's an order of things. Um, he talks about, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened to the surpassing greatness of God. You know, he wants us, uh, he wants us to understand. He wants us to understand the fact that there is a God above. You know, if your eyes are not enlightened, you deny it. You deny there's a God above who loves you. You deny there's a God above who has adopted you, wants to be part of a family that involves salvation forever. If we close ourselves off to that, if we close our minds, if we think we are oh, the highest and the greatest things, if we can control our destiny, if we don't have to you know, follow uh, the teachings and prescriptions that are contained in the Bible, if we can decide, we can do this, we can do that, we can change our gender, for example, um, you know, then we're elevating ourselves um, you know, to a high, to a higher position where, in fact, and I got these are all in this letter from St. Paul. Do these things, um, you know, do these things, do these things make sense? Are they, are they, um, are they worthwhile? Can we trust them? Can we believe in them? Well, how about, I mean, I think people of all kinds of faiths regard Mary as a very holy person, even you know people in the Muslim faith, she was a holy person. She was a good person. A lot of people who don't believe in the divinity of Christ will say, well, he was a good person. Well, they'll say the same thing about Mary. So if she's a good person, a good mother, um, and she has something to tell us, would that be worthwhile to take a look at? Well, right after she was told she was going to be a mother for the first time, She said this, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on all ages will call me blessed. And why not? I mean, my goodness. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry is filled with great things. The rich he has sent away empty. He's helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promises to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Well, what kind of concepts can we find in this? Well, again, she happens, oh, strange enough, to talk about the greatness of God. What is, you know, what is, what is one aspect of the greatness of God? Well, every child is a gift from God. We accord, um, uh, you know, God, his proper role. We, we believe in his greatness if we believe every child is a gift from God. If you are of any religion and believe that children are gifts from heaven, then you believe in this, this greatness um, of God. You believe that, you know, if, if they're gifts from God, if children are gifts from God, then we're, we're merely guardians. We're custodians. We're trustees. Um, there's a soul to these people. We don't have control over their souls. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to provide for their physical comfort. We're supposed to provide for their mental comfort by giving them love. We're supposed to provide for their spiritual comfort by telling them, yeah, there is a God above who loves you. Um, That's what we're supposed to do. But we can't give them eternal salvation. They're going to live forever, but not because because of, of anything that we simply will it's it's because you know it's it's because of God, you know He's the one who but bestowing life, bestowing life, allowing people to be born, giving them souls, that comes from a power above. That comes from a greatness. 
Paul believed in the greatness of God. Mary believed in the greatness of God. Mary was told she was going to be a mother. She rejoiced in thankfulness to God for the gift that she was being given. I think all of us at some point in our life, Ray, ask that same question. And we have to wonder, where did that gift come from? What did we get? And the fact of the matter is, you have two choices, I think. You believe that that gift is truly from God, and you want to give back all you can to say thank you for him, for our life, for our breath, for our ability to do the things we we want to do. Or if you don't say thank you to God, you then are in some way, somehow have to say, where does my life work out to be? If it's for God, it's to love him, to take care of others, to take care of others that are in the human race, to watch over people, to raise your own children. All of that comes from God. Take that out and say God is not there. Then what is the purpose of, of who we are and, and what we are? There isn't a purpose. We're meandering around, bumping into each other, and it's, it's, it's lucky. It's a, it's a game of dice. It's a, it's a flip of a card. It's a flip of a coin. God is what gives us meaning. He is what gives us truth. And with him, we have a purpose to serve him, to love him, and to take care of others. Without him, we might have a purpose, we, we, but I'm not quite sure what it is. If you ask a lot of people, you'll get many different varied answers. But Jesus— Whatever it is, it'd be transitory. But whatever it is, it'd be transitory. God himself, the truth, is what we seek to find, to serve— and to love. And when you find that, I know you, you feel that way, but I know for myself, when I find that, and very luckily, it hasn't happened just once. I found a part of it and then prayed and learned and found another part of it. But as that happens, that's one of the most exciting and memorable moments in my life when I truly realize what it is that God's giving to me. And I think each of us that has that relationship with God does almost exactly that. Oh, it's happened to me as well. We get we get blessings that we don't realize. Um, yeah, once you, you know, th- there's no other joy that, that compares with some kind of a sense that, um, you know, now I'm I'm not uh, I'm not denying God in some way, but I'm trying to serve Him. There's no other joy that compares. There, there's just there's something that, that there's something so penetrating about it. It seems so real that it, it, you know, it can't be just a figment of your imagination. I mean, those, those moments, uh, there, there are certain indelible moments. Um, if you go about any kind of a, well, if you go about a faith journey with any kind of openness or, you know, honesty, uh, those moments will come. But anyways, um, yeah, it's this, 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 this idea, this, we're, you know, children are gifts from God. We're a gift from God to our parents. I mean, yeah, and if you don't have that, yeah, where are you? Are, are you not lost? And is not everything, you know, then what are you living for? Yeah, Bob, I, I, I understand. Uh, that makes, per, you know, that makes so much sense. Um, but another thing Mary talked about, she talked about this, this lowliness. Three times she mentions lowliness, and she, you know, she talks about, um, you know, God having rewards for people. But to those who fear him, you've got to understand that you're lowly in compared, comparison to God. And then, you know, she mentions the word lowly a third time. She also mentions, she also has, there's three other words in this short little Magnificat um, that relate to this. She talks about the arrogant, the rulers, the rich. And those are all mentioned in a, in a negative way. You have to concede, <laughs> you have to concede your, yourself the role that God has, the greatness of God, the, the role that God has. The fact that we're lowly, he's not. You have to understand your role in uh, in reality. When you believe there's no God, when you elevate yourself, when you become a little arrogant, then you can. Well, then you can say, well, we make up the rules. We can change our gender uh, if we want to. I was born this way. I can. I can be a girl if. if hey, if I decide it, I want. I want to be it. Then I can do that. Well. What's that sound like? I mean, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, God said, and then there was light. God said, and then there was, you know, water that covered the earth. You know, God thinks it, it happens. Uh, Christ is the word of God. I mean, God thinks it, it happens. Um, You know, I mean, if we think, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I, I think I'm a woman. I, I can be a woman. Well, that's God-like. That's pretending to be God. Can we really do that? Um, uh, so, you know, when we take on this role that we can decide these things, then we're, we're yeah, we're, you know, you're, you're talking about being arrogant in a certain way. Um, so anyways, uh, and, you know, I mean, St. Paul talks about that as well. May the eyes of your heart, eyes of your heart uh, be enlightened. You have to understand that there is, that there is a God and that he has a certain plan for things uh, and there's certain ways for us to, to act towards one another. And if we say we can make all the rules, if we try to elevate ourselves, instead of being lowly and humble, try to elevate ourselves, then maybe we can say, well, parents shouldn't be allowed to have a say in the education of their children. Maybe there isn't a natural order to things where parents have a, have a certain role for their children. Maybe children are not a gift from God to their parents who are the first persons appointed to be their guardians. Maybe we can decide all these things for ourselves, or maybe not. I mean, my goodness. Um, but anyways, um, let's take this last, um, this last element. We've covered two. Let's cover number three. Mercy. Mary mentions mercy. She talks about a merciful God, talks about twice. Paul specifically mentions the mercy of God, specifically mentions love. Love is mercy. Love is forgiveness. Um, this is um, this is an aspect of God. According to you know Saint John, God is love, love and mercy. Um, parents have this special. I mean, parents have love for their children. Do or can it be possible? Could it even be possible for a school board member to have a love to have love for one child in their school system? Would it be possible for a school board member to have a, have love for each and every child in their school system? Maybe they have love for one particular. Maybe they have one for a child. How how would that happen? Um, well, maybe they've gotten to know the child. Maybe they've spent time with the child. Maybe they know their child that child by their that child's first name. Um, okay. Could they do that with every child in the school system? A parent will spend a lot of time with their own child. If you know, when do you when do you have when, when do you develop a friendship with a person? Friendship is a form of love. Friendship makes you feel good. Friendship makes you feel uh, valued and loved in a certain way. Um, how can you have that? unless you've spent time with a person. Um, people often talk about a couple loving each other, even if it's a same-sex couple, same couple. How would that be if you never spent time with a person? Can you have a relationship um, of that kind of an intimate nature without spending time with a person? So is it possible then for a school board member to have love in the same way that a parent does for each child in a school district? Could they spend enough time with each and every child to have a love, anything like that, of a parent? If it's not based on love, if the relationship is not grounded uh, and, 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 you know, and sustained by love, then what kind of a relationship is it? It's a business deal. I mean, it's when you think of the relationship between government and its citizens, well, we tax you, we provide services to you. Is there love in this equation? Can the government, the government is not a person. The government's a bureaucracy. Can there be love in this? I mean, I, you know, so if we're talking about in any respect at all, separating out parents from having a say in the education of their children, you are... Uh, unmistakably, uh, irrevocably, standing for the proposition that less love should be involved in that. There should be less love involved in that. Well, 
I would submit that is contrary to what St. Paul would say. That is contrary to what Mother Mary would say. You should not be breaking into a relationship between a parent and a child. If you break into a relationship with a, between a parent and a child, you are breaking into a bond of love that was created in the beginning with a gift from God, and they can sustain. And how can we love? The only way we can really love others is if we look to God for help in doing that. If we look to God to help us to understand what love really means, you're breaking into our relationship between, you know, LeBron James had something to say about being a parent. He said, look, but now, he said, but now, being a parent, I go home and I see my son. I forget about any mistake I ever made or the reason I'm upset. I get home and my son is smiling or he comes running to me. It has just made me grow as an individual and grow as a man. Not only does a parent love a child and give to the child, the parent gets from the child. He gets. LeBron James feels like he's grown as a man because of this loving relationship he has with the child because the child is looking up to him, running up to him, smiling to him when he gets home despite all his troubles. Um, Love, reciprocal love, enriches both parties. If you break into that, if you try to do anything to interfere with that, you're running contrary to this. You're running contrary to the natural order of things. You're running contrary to uh, this 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 relationship that is is that's that's been created and it gets sustained by God. We cannot. We cannot just simply say, "Well, you know, okay, you've got these moms over here. You got." You know, the NEA, National Education Association, these teachers unions and the SBLC over here. And now well, I don't really know. I don't really I don't really think I have anything to say about that. I don't know. I don't know enough about the issue. I can't really say I can't really form an opinion. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. The NEA should have a role. Um, Southern Poverty Law Center, obviously, they have a role to express whatever opinions they want to make, to argue for whatever positions they want. But parents have a role in education, not only as well, but almost unavoidably. I mean, they bring the love into the equation. And that cannot, it should never uh, be denied or thwarted uh, in any regard. If, if you believe in love, if you, you know, believe in a God as a source of love, even if you don't, I mean, the role of a parent is just special. Parents have that special role of love, and they when that's try when that's trying to be broke by a school board or anyone else to say we have the decision. They're making that not out of love, but what is going to do maybe the best for the most people. So they're going to try to do this from a standpoint of let's make the whole a little bit better. That's it. That's a good thing. That's what you want to do. As a teacher, I wanted to make my classroom better. But if I forget that the children is the individual, that we have to deal with children on an individual basis, a child learns on an individual basis. If a teacher forgets that you don't have to do something very specific to get to each child and look at that and understand it and know it, you're going to fail. You're going to be abysmal. The parent is the one that knows each child. They know what's best for them. They've lived with them. They know what does and doesn't work. We are taking away from the parent's responsibility of someone who loves them, cares for them, and wants the most for them, and handing it to a bureaucrat who doesn't want that, who wants the whole school system maybe to work a little bit better. We can't do that. We, we can't allow that to happen. We need to let the parents, the ones that love them, have that control so that the child can be brought up in the best way possible for them as an individual and someone who will take that lead and do that. If we generalize, we're going to fail. The whole system falls down. We have got to figure out how to love and take care of each one as, a, as an individual. You know, I remember a time when um, um, 
I had a child, and she was um, in grade school, and she had gone through six years of Catholic grade school. And then we moved to another location, and she wanted to go to the public school. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I've had, you know, six years of all this this religious stuff and so on and so forth, and uh, you know, uh, she just she just wanted wanted to see what it was like uh, otherwise. So we said sure. So we sent her to the public school. And uh, I remember that at a certain point during the school year, we were going to take a religious pilgrimage. Now, my daughter wasn't going to go on this pilgrimage with us, but we were going to stay, take her to relatives, to stay with relatives for the week that we were gone. Well, the school thought that was not a good enough reason, so we had to make up another reason. They knew what we were doing. They knew we were just, you know, but we had to go through the process of, this, this, we had to go through the motions of coming up with some other reason. A religious experience wasn't good enough. God wasn't in the God wasn't something that was recognized as a reason good enough. And for that reason and for others, it there was there was just a there was an air, there was an atmosphere that the parents were on one side. I mean there this is just one case, but there are other instances as well where parents were on one side and the school was on the other. And, um, you know, I mean, why wouldn't it have been enough? It's like to say, well, you want to take your kid out for a week. Uh, you're not going to be in town. Okay, you, religion, you want to go where? You want to do what? Uh, whatever. You're not going to be in town. Okay, we understand. It's your family. You know, it's your, it's your family. It's your situation. Okay, fine. But no, that was, you know, and we, you know, so. Anyways, um, well, after this one year in the public school, my daughter said she wanted to go back to the Catholic school. So for her eighth grade, we go back to uh, we went to we enrolled in a local Catholic school, and we go to this parent orientation night. And the first thing the pastor said, and I found this was curious and coincidental, but so perfectly right on the mark. First thing he said to this whole group of parents is, "We want you to understand we're on your side." The first words out of his the first thing he had to say to us that night. It was a different atmosphere. Why is it that in some public schools, you know, the, the parents are regarded on one side? It shouldn't be that way. The role of a parent is special. It has, uh, there's, you know, children are, are gifts from God. There's, there's, there's a special relationship here. There is a love here um, that comes and is sustained, you know, by God. This is something that we should not interfere with. And if, in fact... You think, well, you know, this is a this is a question I can't really have an opinion on. Uh, well, do you have an opinion on children, on parents, and on God? And if you do, I think then you should have. You know, well, I think in some, at least some way you're going to have an opinion on this. Well, this has been another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. We hope you found it a little provocative, a little interesting. Um, we hope. You come join us uh, again uh, some other time. And until you do, God bless.